The, fol- the following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Back in the 1960s, there was a young Jewish man living in Mexico. His name was Solomon Mizrahi. Solomon struggled desperately to eke out a living to support his family. He established a business importing coffee, which he would sell in and around Mexico. It was a tough business. It was a competitive business. And he kept hitting brick walls. He kept on the struggling, but he wouldn't give up. One day, Solomon negotiated a deal with a Japanese supplier to buy a huge amount of coffee at an incredibly low price. And this was a long-term contract. It was a great deal. It was a sweet deal. It was the deal he was waiting for. This was the big break Solomon was telling his wife, one day I'm going to make that deal. His profit margin would be huge. He would have enough to buy a home for his family, to support the family, not just for now, but for the foreseeable future. Jackpot. That night, he proudly showed the coffee contract to his wife. They celebrated. They were ecstatic. They danced the night away. That contract represented a bright new future for the Mizrahi family. Poverty days would be over for them. The next day, the Japanese supplier shows up at Solomon's office looking very somber. And he said to him, Mr. Mizrahi, I made a mistake. The price I quoted was too low. It was an error. Nevertheless, as an agent for my company, I signed that contract. You have in your hand a legal contract. And if you hold to that contract, which you certainly have the right to, my company will honor it. But as a consequence, I'm pretty sure I'll be fired. If that's what you decide to do, I don't blame you one bit. But I wanted you to know that my career would be over. Now imagine yourself in that position. Business is business. A deal is a deal. A whole new life for the Mizrahi family. You already celebrated this with your wife. You told her she could start looking for homes. It's a binding contract. It's not my fault. It's the company's problem. Solomon Mizrahi picked up the contract and ripped it to shreds without batting an eyelash. He wasn't going to move up the ladder by stepping on someone else's back. That was his binding of Isaac. That was his moment. That was his mountain. And he met God alone at the top of the mountain. Solomon's lawyer and business associates might have told him he was crazy. But I'm sure God had nachas. God was proud. And just like that, the big dream was over. Solomon Mizrahi continued to struggle, trying to generate whatever business he could. No big contracts came along, but he never looked back with regret. He knew he did the right thing, and he didn't regret it. A few years go by. That same Japanese man left the coffee company, moved to become an executive for a big electronics company in Japan. And that company, which developed cutting-edge technology and television, its television department decided they wanted to market the television sets in Mexico. They were considering to give exclusive rights for distribution of this new product in Mexico. And without missing a beat, our Japanese friend pipes in and says, I know a businessman in Mexico who is impeccably honest. Solomon was granted the exclusive rights. Any retail store in Mexico that wished to sell these popular TV sets can only buy it through Solomon Mizrahi. It was a gold mine, far more lucrative than the old coffee deal would have ever been. And from there, Solomon's Mizrahi's reputation grew when he went on to become the exclusive distributor in Mexico for major companies such as Yamaha Pianos and Citizen Watches and others. 
Solomon Mizrahi eventually became an extremely wealthy and philanthropic man, supporting many Jewish organizations and worthy causes all over the world. But it began with one challenge, with one decision, with one mountain to climb. That's real sacrifice. That's your binding of Isaac. That's your Akedah. That's your climb up this mountain. I remember some 25 some odd years ago, there was a family in our community who started taking that journey up their mountain, growing in their Yiddishkeit, one mitzvah at a time. And their 13-year-old son began attending a Jewish school. Not an easy transition. Going from an education for all your younger years, for your elementary years in a public school, and suddenly you're going to try to make that transition into a Jewish school. You don't know how to read that well. You don't know the Hebrew alphabet. You're not familiar with the Bible stories like everyone else in the class. You're not familiar with Mishnah like everyone else in the class. It's a hard transition. But he had this will. He had this desire. He wanted to do it. Kid's kid's grandfather, who lived out of town, heard about this. A yeshiva boy for a grandson? Never. Not for my worst enemy. He was embarrassed by this. My grandson needs to go to an Ivy League school when he graduates high school. He needs to get into one of the best universities. Can't go to a yeshiva. This very secular, educated, wealthy grandfather was not very pleased about the news that his grandson was going to yeshiva. So he informed the family that he would be visiting, and he wants to take his grandson out for a private dinner at a fine restaurant. Naturally, our young yeshiva boy says, It's so nice of you to come, Grandpa, but it would have to be a kosher restaurant. They went to Starbucks because Grandpa would not be caught dead in a kosher restaurant. And he began his talk by explaining, this is such a waste of your time. Why do you want to spend so much time in archaic study when you can be spending your time in advanced education? And you're going to want to get into one of the finest schools out there. Religion is nothing but a scam. Don't fall for it. He tried every one of these arguments. He tried with soft words. It didn't go anywhere. He tried with harsh words. Nothing doing. So being a man of means, he chose the universal language that everyone understands. He offered his grandson a stipend of $10,000 a month for a year if he would drop out of a Jewish school. The boy turned him down. He upped the offer. 15000 direct deposit. It would go straight into his account every month, nothing doing. Boy turned it down. This went on and on. The negotiating went on until he made one final offer. $700,000 to be deposited in an interest-earning account that he would have access to when he turned 21 years old. The boy was 13. He did the math for him what that 700000 was going to turn into when he turned 21. He would be wealthy at 21 years old. All he needed to do was drop out. Now, way earlier in these negotiations, I would have taken the deal myself. The boy turned to his grandfather and he said, Grandpa, one day you'll find out that the greatest gift is not one that you can give me or buy me. The greatest gift is the gift that God gave us both. I found this gift, and I hope one day you'll find it too. 
a 13-year-old kid talking like this, such clarity, such strength of conviction, that's the spirit and the sacrifice of Abraham all over again. It's the courage to walk your own way and to meet God on the top of your mountain. Now, we each have mountains to climb. We each have challenges to meet. We each have our own individual tests to withstand. And my mountain and your mountain may not be the same. We're each given our own mountains, and that's why we call it climbing your mountain. I'd like to conclude with one more beautiful story. It may sound like something out of the dark ages, but it actually transpired in 2007. And if I remember correctly, I first heard the story from Rabbi Moshe Katlarski at a JLI retreat. In Bako, Azerbaijan, there's a Jewish woman who married a non-Jew who was loosely affiliated with the Russian Orthodox Church. He was never a practicing or active member of the church, so when the woman told him that she wanted to enroll their nine-year-old daughter in their local Chabad day school called Or Avner, he said, fine, send the kid to a day school. Didn't mean much to him. As time went on, however, the man began to notice things, changes. The child would come home all animated, all excited about her Jewish studies. Her eyes would light up whenever she spoke about the holidays, about Hanukkah, about prayer, about the Torah portion of the week, which she had no idea what she was talking about. And every Friday night, she would insist on lighting a candle and making a blessing and doing this strange thing with her hands. At first, it was cute. Okay, it's a nine-year-old, and she's doing things in school. It's fine. But then she was really passionate about it, and it started bothering him. So one day, he says to his wife, listen, you know, you asked me about the school. I said, fine. But you didn't tell me about lifestyle changes. So if our daughter is going to be doing all these Jewish things, then she also has to be baptized by my religion. Fair is fair. Let her have both, your religion and my religion. Mother and daughter weren't happy about this, but the father drew a line in the sand. Here's the deal. Either she gets baptized and she can continue going to the school, but if you object, no, then she goes out of the Jewish school, no school, no religious school at all. So the mother made the t tough choice to acquiesce. Okay, we have a deal. As long as her daughter, daughter can continue going to the school she loves so much. And sure enough, the man makes an appointment for the following Friday afternoon with a priest of a church in a small Russian town. And during this meeting, this encounter, the priest asked the girl if she indeed wanted to become a Christian, and if she was ready to take into our heart everything that she's supposed to take into our heart. This nine-year-old girl says, no, I'm a Jew. At which point, her father gave her a stern look and said, you better get with the program, or you're not going to be in that school anymore. From that point on, she kept silent. There were prayers she needed to recite. She said whatever the priest told her to say, she went along with it. She was dunked in the water. She let herself go. As this was all going on, there was this tremendous sadness about her. The mother saw it. The mother picked up on it. And the priest starts going through all the rest of the rituals. The little girl begins playing holiday songs in her mind just to keep her mind occupied. The mental singing was interrupted when the priest gave her a final instruction. As a sign now of your acceptance of the church, you need to go over to that table and light a candle. This brave nine-year-old child looks up at the clock. She walks over to the wall. She covered her eyes, and with everything she had inside her, she cried out, 
Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu melech haolam asher kedishanu b'mitzvosa v'tzivanu lahadlik ner shal Shabbos Kodesh. It was Friday. She was lighting a candle. In a strange place, but she was lighting a candle. And she made her blessing in this church. I don't believe she got much applause from the priest. I don't believe her father was pleased. But on that Friday night, in a Russian Orthodox church in Azerbaijan, she met God alone on the top of a mountain. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.